With that being said, hey, we're in a series called Identify. Everybody say Identify. And this is the last part in our series on Identify. And just to review for just a moment, our big question is, who are you? Who are you? Are you, are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? Are you a Libertarian? Who are you? Who, uh, who are, are you? Are you a black man? Are you a white woman? Are you a Hispanic person? Are you Latino? I mean, who are you? And in this series, my goal was to help you know who you are. Because when you have your identity right, your actions will be right. See, from who I am is from whence I act. And so when a person's acting a certain way, what I do to them is I call them back into who they're supposed to be, especially if it's against the things of the Lord. And so it was with that that we tried to walk you through our identity in Christ. And what I was trying to teach you is that there are actually phases in our development and our identity in Christ. And we started with the very first bedrock piece of who we're supposed to be as Christians. And that is, number one, we're supposed to be a new creation. We are new creations. Would you say that? I'm a new creation. Say it one more time. I'm a new creation. And we looked at the life of Peter and his engagement with Jesus. He's been called Simon, which was his given name, the son of Jonah. He is... Jesus is having this engagement with him, and Jesus asked him, who do people say that I am? And Peter immediately has this statement, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, whoa, dude, you get something that no one could teach you. That comes straight from heaven. You are being transformed in this moment. See, when I became a Christian, the old man passed away, and I became a new man in Christ. I'm a new creation. The problem is the old man keeps trying to affect the new man. And for many of you, you've never shifted your identity. You still think you're the pervert. You still think you're the person who beats your kids. You still think that, that that's still your identity. And you have to shift and say, wait a minute, I'm a new creature in Christ. I may not be perfect, and I may stumble, and my old man keeps trying to affect my new man, but that's not who I am. That's who I used to be. That's who's now dead and gone, and this is who I am in God. Are you with me? Say yes. That's the first step in your big identity shift. And then the second step we talked about last week is that you come past the place, and I'm not just a, a new creature in Christ, but I am a dependent heir. That everything that Jesus died and, and paid for, I get to receive it. I am a dependent heir. It's, it's mine. Healing is mine. Salvation is mine. I get to receive it not because I've done something. Your kids are not going to get that money because they did something. They get to get that money because you did something. And that's what we are. We're heirs, but we, we're supposed to learn to become is dependent heirs and we looked at the life of Abram and we looked at the moment where literally God changed his name from Abram to Abraham he had been an obedient lover of God he had followed God but he still because he had been a successful businessman because he had all his life he had to fight for what was his he had a real difficulty being dependent and as Americans, we have a difficulty being dependent. We're so independent. And so it's hard to say, Lord, my life is in your hands. Where you want me to go, I will go. What you want me to do, I will do. And we have a real struggle with lordship. And the moment that Abram finally had destroyed it enough, God came to him and said, now you done, buddy? You done created Ishmael? You got all this stuff? <laughs> yes, God, I'm done. All right, now you can have a baby. Now you can be the father of many nations. And I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham. And he said, let's do it, Lord. And that, that moment was an identity shift. Some of you uh, maybe understand what I'm talking about. When people come to our church many times, when they first start coming, they'll call me Adam. Hey, Adam. Hey, Adam. Hey, Adam. And then what will happen is after we've gone through some time together, you'll see this shift and they'll start calling me Pastor Adam. 
because I become their pastor. And then when I get even closer to them, friends of mine in this church, they'll call me PA because it's a, it's a, it's a sign of intimacy, it's a sign of friendship. They'll call me PA for short. And, and what that, my name hasn't necessarily changed, but my identity has changed in their heart and the way they engage with me. Are you with me? Say yes. And so as we've gone through that, I wanted you to see as God changed names or adjusted what they were called by, as he did that, it was because there was an identity shift in their life, both with Peter, with Abram, Abraham. And now today, we're going to look at this identity shift in a man by the name of Saul, or as we know him, the Apostle Paul. Are you there today? Say yes. So our key scripture today is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. And this is what it says. It says, for we are God's fellow workers. Would you read that with me one more time? For we are God's fellow workers. We're God's fellow workers. Now, uh, Paul is talking about this in relation to himself and some other ministers, but this actually is applicable to every one of the members of Jesus' body. Every member is also a fellow worker with Christ. And with that being said, I've titled today, Trusted Partner. That's your next identity shift, Trusted Partner. Turn to the person next to you and say, Trusted Partner. Turn to the person on the other side and say, trusted partner. So if we could take a moment today, I want to kind of take you through why did the Bible take the name Saul, the man Saul, and stop calling him Saul and start calling him Paul. So to do that, let's just do a little quick history sketch out of the book of Acts. So if you'll turn in your Bibles, get prepared for Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be starting in as we look at this man named Saul. Now, Saul, is a, um, Saul has been a, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's a young man. He's, he's religious. He is fired up about protecting Judaism. And this new thing has happened called Christianity. At the time, they actually called themselves the way. They were the followers of Jesus. And, 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 and Saul, along with uh, all the other Pharisees and Sadducees, saw it as a threat to Judaism, to the pureness of those who follow Jehovah God. And so Saul is fired up, and he's going to do all he can to destroy these Christians, if you will. And so he's getting letters to put them in prison. He's getting, he's getting approval to have them, have them put in prison, have them killed, beat on, whatever it may be. And he's in one of these moments where he's heard that there's some Christians in Damascus. So he leaves Jerusalem and he's on the road to Damascus where he has an experience with the living God. So with that being said, verse 1, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 of the book of Acts. Meanwhile, Saul, everybody say Saul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus. So if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Come on, have you ever had a suddenly moment? Have you ever been driving down the highway and somebody pulled out in front of you and you had a suddenly moment? Right? It's interesting what we say in suddenly moments. Praise the Lord. That's what y'all say. I know what's up. (laughs) Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. (laughs) This is magnificent. Verse 4, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He then responds, who are you, Lord? If you are ever driving to work and a bright light comes out of heaven, brighter than the sun, and knocks you out of your car and you're laying on the ground, And a voice says to you, Tamika, Tamika, why are you persecuting me? A good response might be, who are you, Lord? Which is what he does. He says, who are you, Lord? And and for sake of time, I'll just quote it to you. And Jesus responds, I am Jesus, 
who you are persecuting. Stop it. I am the Lord. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And Saul says, yes, sir. It's amazing how in that moment he became transformed into that of a Christian from his old ways. He became a new creature in Christ the moment he confessed Jesus is the Lord and received him as such. It was magnificent. He had an identity shift. Well, if you'll continue reading the story there in the book of Acts chapter 9, he goes into Damascus. He's blinded because of this experience. A fellow Christian prays for him. Scales falls off his eyes. And then Saul goes crazy. He starts going up to the synagogue in Damascus. And he says, hey, all you Pharisees, y'all remember me? I was the best one out of all of y'all. We're wrong. We're all wrong. Jesus is real. He's real. And they start wigging out. Some of them accept, but most of them like, no, you did not switch teams. You did not switch teams. And they plot to kill him. He's a brand new Christian. Do you, have you ever met some of those brand new Christians? I love when you get a person who has never been a Christian and they meet Jesus for the first time and they get totally transformed. It's amazing. They show up at church. They got the biggest Bible that they could buy at the Christian bookstore. They walk in. They have only know a couple of words because all their other vocabulary could not be said in the midst of Christians, or if you will. And so they walk in. All of their statements are like, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Opposed to those of us who have been in church a long time, like, shut up. Let me get my coffee first before you start doing all that. So Saul is like that. He's so excited. And all the carnal Christians, if you will, dead religious folks are ticked off about it. And they plot to kill him. Well, the brothers, the brothers and sisters in Christ, help him escape Damascus. And if you'll study the journey line in his life, he then goes into Arabia for three years. He goes out into isolation. He goes into isolation. No one sees or hears from him, basically. What's he doing for three years? I believe he's solidifying his doctrine. I believe he's getting his junk straight. I believe he's, like, learning God. I believe what's happening is he's having another identity shift from just a new creation in Christ to a deepening of his dependence upon Jesus. I believe he's in that space. And then he comes back and he shares himself with the Jerusalem church, all the, the key Christians. He says, listen, I'm, I'm really saved. They didn't believe at first. They're like, three years ago you were killing us, and now you're going to show up and say, you're, hmm, are you a spy? What are you and it took Barnabas to say no guys he's the real deal I promise he's the real deal Saul's the real deal and they're like oh okay and so then he starts going then Saul starts going into the Jerusalem synagogues and saying hey guys we're wrong the Pharisees got statues we were wrong I was the best out of all of you guys it's really Jesus so they decide they're gonna kill him in Jerusalem so the brothers in Jerusalem take him and they send him back to the hometown where he was from they send him back home from where he grew up at in another town off in the distance, if you will. And he heads off back to Tarsus. And history records that he was there almost 10 years. 10 years. What's he doing? What's he being a part of? I believe that's when he starts doing his tent making business. I, I, he's got to get a side gig to finance himself. The Bible doesn't say he led a small group. Doesn't say he was preaching. Wasn't planting any churches. He's just a dude working hard. Probably got a small group that he's going to. Got a small church that he's a part of that he's found out. He's just doing his best. Every, it's almost like God forgot about him. Come on, have you ever felt that way? Stay with me. The Apostle Paul. We're still calling him Saul in these moments. And then what happens is something breaks out. There's a city called Antioch. And Jewish Christians are getting saved. Jews are getting saved and becoming Christians. And Gentiles are getting saved and becoming Christians. And they're coming together in a church 
in the city of Antioch. That has not happened like that. Jews do not engage with Gentiles. God told them not to in, in the Old Testament because he didn't want them to get polluted by their own wickedness. But now Gentiles are coming to Christ. Jews are coming to Christ and they're coming together and there's this crazy thing happening. So the church in Jerusalem says, let's send some leaders to make sure this church survives. Imagine that there was revival out in the middle of nowhere that we don't really know and, and there's no pastor. There's no, there's no organization of, of what they're doing and we just started sending people say, hey, y'all need to go lead small groups for them. You need to go help them get their, their services started, get a youth ministry started. That's what was happening here. And so Barnabas, after being there a little bit, goes, I've got to find Saul. Saul will know how to do this ministry well. So he tracks him down in Tarsus. He's been there 10 years with nothing to do, making tents. And Barnabas says, I need you, bro. Because these Gentiles, you understand them? And you were, you were one of the best Jewish you know, uh, rabbi-to-be guys. I think we, there's conflict all in here. We, I need your help. So, so Saul goes with him. They minister there for about a year. They end up in Jerusalem at the end of that year talking about what God's doing amongst Gentiles. And then the prophetic word comes. Take Saul and Barnabas and set them apart because I've got work for them to do. And they started out in doing a missionary journey. They started going. These little churches like this were popping up with Gentiles. Gentiles are getting saved. So Paul's going, Saul's going in there and he's ministering. They're planting churches. They're just going crazy. But he's still called Saul until a specific moment. And I want to take you to that moment in his life journey and the scriptures, because I want you to see as his name shifts, it's because something has shifted in his identity. Are you still there? Say yes. It took me a long time to get there, but hopefully you're tracking with me. So Acts chapter 13, turn there with me. So in Acts chapter 13, Barnabas and Saul and John Mark, they're on this missionary trip. So they, so they go to the island of Cyprus, which is beautiful, by the way, still today, it's gorgeous. And, uh, and as they're preaching and stuff, the local pro-council, he's kind of like a mayor, kind of like an important personality, he, he hears about these guys preaching, and he's real interested in their message. So he says, hey, listen, have those dudes that are out there in, in the city telling people about, about their God, have them come, I want to I meet with them. Well, the problem is he's got a personal assistant who is a person who's engaged in witchcraft. And this guy, and because in, in ancient times like that, when they, when, they, when they would get insecure about making decisions, and people still do it today, they would go and they would, they would, they would seek a, you know, a, a psychic or something to help them make good decisions. And this guy was a Jewish dude, but he actually was into witchcraft. And so he was kind of like a counselor for the pro-council, for the mayor, if you will. And so as we pick up there, uh, we find that, th that they're being invited to come preach to the pro-council, but this guy Elamus is getting in the way. Verse 8 of Acts chapter 13. But Elamus, the sorcerer, for that was what his name meant, opposed them and tried to turn the, uh, the pro-council from the faith. Then Saul, everybody say Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. Now listen, I know it's in the Bible, but you can't tell your kids that, guys. I'm just telling you, that's not, when they're acting bad, you can't tell them that, or your spouse. I know some of you, it's in the Bible, I can say it. No, no, don't do that. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right way of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you, and you're going to be blind for a time. You'll be unable to see the light of the sun immediately. Mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the pro-council, come on, when the mayor saw that, what had happened, he believed and was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Verse 13, here's where I hone in. From Paphros, Paul and his companions sailed to, sailed to Perga, which is in, in Pamphylia. 
Now all of a sudden he's being called Paul. Up until this, in all the chapters before, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, is referring to him as Saul. But after this moment, he starts referring to him as Paul. Now, Saul was his Hebrew name, if you will. Paul was how you would have translated his name in, 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 in Greek or in Latin. Or, or it was his Gentile name, if you will. So he had, if you will, uh, when you translate his name out in Hebrew, it would have been Saul. When you, when you talked about him, you know, when he was amongst all, all the Greeks and the Gentiles, his name would have been more like Paul. What happens is in this moment, there's an identity shift because in this moment, Paul, Saul, begins to move in supernatural power. He begins to partner, if you will, with the Lord to do supernatural things. And it's in that moment, as Luke is giving an account of what transpired, he ain't Saul no more. That dude became Paul in that moment. Because why? Because it's all according to Paul's calling. His name shifts. In English, my name is Adam. In Spanish, my name is Adim, or however you would say it. Adam, you know, whatever. Sorry. But the point of the matter is this, is that he began to be called Paul because of his purpose and his calling now to reach the Gentiles. Look what he actually says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7. He says, and for this reason, this is Paul speaking, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. The reason why this is so significant is because up until this point, most Christians did not believe that Gentiles could be Christians. They were all Jewish Christians who had had the way, who had been taught by the law of Moses, had grown up knowing God, but now they realized that the Messiah had come and they're following the Messiah. The Gentiles have always been the enemy, and now God is saving the Gentiles. But who's going to minister to the Gentiles? They have pagan worship. They, they, they've killed their babies at the altars, blood sacrifices, all these things. Oh my goodness, they're gross, they're bad, they're terrible. We don't even know how to engage with them. Who's going to help them find and, and disciple them and teach them the right ways of the Lord? And Paul says, I am the guy. God has anointed me to do it. I come into partnership with what he's called me to do. I want you to know there's going to be a moment that you're going to grow out of just being a new creature in Christ. That you're going to go past in your identity that I'm just dependent upon the Lord. And there's going to be a moment where you're going to step into like where I'm at right now. Where I am a trusted partner. What he wants, I do. Where he sends me, I go. It's not my will, but thy will be done. What he has trying to do on the planet, I'm engaged with him as a partner. Have you ever had a partner? Have you ever been in partnership with someone else? And that's what I want to teach you today is what true partnership looks like. So here's a couple characteristics of a trusted partner. Would you write these down? Because this is who you're going to be. This is who you are. And I'm hope, hoping your identity can shift with me. First and foremost, the true characteristic of a partner is that they are a carrier of the calling. They're a carrier of the calling. I'm a carrier of God's calling, of what God wants to do in the earth. So what did God want to do in the earth? Well, you got to look back what Jesus said. His purpose statements were things like this. In John 10.10, John 10, he said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. I didn't come to destroy you. That's what the enemy does. I didn't come to say, you're going to die and burn in hell forever. No, no, I've come to give you life. Come to give you life. Jesus said, that's my purpose. And, and, and in another place, he quoted this other piece of his purpose. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, he said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. I'm going after that which is lost. See, when you become a, 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 a real trusted partner with the Lord, you, 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 can't, you can't let someone die and go to hell. You can't do it. Because, because 
He cares about that so much. He came to fix and to solve that, to seek and to save that which is lost. And when you become a partner with him, you're like, that's what I'm in. I'm doing the same thing. I'm I'm seeking and saving that which is lost. Here's the other piece, and there's been a bunch of pieces that he states, but these are kind of my top three of his his purpose statement, and that is 1 John 3 and 8. Jesus said it like this. It says about Jesus, he came to destroy the works of the enemy. Cancer is the work of an enemy. Jesus came to destroy that. Divorce is the work of an enemy. Jesus came to destroy that. There's a demonic force. There's forces of evil trying to destroy marriages, trying to destroy little kids, trying to, uh, that's the plan of the enemy. And Jesus said, it says of Jesus, I have, he has been sent to destroy the works of the enemy. If I'm a partner with him, that's part of my calling. I want to destroy the works of the enemy. I want to see marriages put back together. I, I, that is part of who I'm supposed to be. And here's the problem that most of you never get. So let me help you see this. See, you're not Miss Smith the third grade teacher. You're Miss Smith, the trusted partner of Jesus Christ. And he has assigned you to third graders in the elementary school system. Your assignment is third, third graders in the elementary school system. Who you are is a trusted partner. And so while you're being that, if you will, that, that trusted partner in the elementary school system, then your purpose is the same with that which is Christ, to seek and save that which is lost, to bring life to those little third graders. Come on, you with me? To destroy the works of the enemy that's killing that poor little kid. See, if you're a mechanic, you're not a mechanic, bro. You're not John the mechanic. What you are is John, the trusted partner of Jesus Christ. And he's assigned you cars. And, and working on this and you love it and you enjoy it and every customer is an opportunity for God's purposes to move forward every engagement is a plan of God to seek and to save that which is lost and if you never make the identity shift then all you are is a mechanic and you're doing your best to go to church and be a good person and then every day you wake up and what's then your purpose to make money to provide for my family to fit in with all the other worldly people and it's this tug back and forth and the closer you get to Jesus the more the identity is difficult because you're not you're not Hesse anymore now you're the man of God but yet I'm not really and you're back and forth because you've not made the identity change he's not solved anymore he's Paul I'm on a mission my name is actually a part of my mission to reach the Gentiles so I use my Gentile name from this point forward because it's a part of my purpose and my calling because I'm now a partner in God's plan are you with me say yes Ooh, you didn't say yes good no that was really good here's a second characteristic of a trusted partner and that is they're a defender of the cause write that down a defender of the cause while you do that I'm gonna try my little poop cute little shoes right here a defender of the cause. What did Paul do to that sorcerer? That joke, that's right. That joker started trying to mess with the, work, with the move of God. And he said, oh, you, I don't think so. I do not think so. You are wicked. You got evil inside of you. So guess what? <clears throat> Be blind. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. He's a defender. See, when you and I become a partner, we begin to defend it. Years ago, I bought American Airlines stock. I was a trusted American Airlines partner. I bought stock. Everything about me became different when it came to American Airlines. People was like, man, American Airlines suck. No, they don't. They're the greatest. Why? Because I was a stockholder. Like, I, like, all the other airlines are terrible, man. I would post about, I love American Airlines. That stock went up to where I could actually get out of it, make some money. I sold that stuff. I made some good money. So happy. Put a down payment on the house. Thank you, Jesus. And now... If you say, man, how you feel about American Airlines? Oh, no, that place is junk. I don't care about that. I don't care about that. Why? Because I'm not a partner anymore. Are you with me? 
See, when you're a partner, you defend. I can tell people who are partners with Jesus and people who just try to get a little something from Jesus. See, when you're a partner, you're like, you will not talk about my Jesus like that. You'll not act like that in front of me, and you'll not say that on, online. You will not do because that's not my Jesus, and you're misrepresenting, and I'm going to defend the cause of Christ. Are you with me? Say yes. Years ago, I was, I was at this basketball game. I was mentoring this young man, and, and his friend who we, we were trying to reach out to was playing on this game. So I went to this high school gym in Arlington, and, you know, it's me, and, and with this young man, and all these, somehow we're in the student section. I didn't know they had that in high school, but we're sitting around all the, all the guys, you know, the high schoolers. And, and so as we're sitting there, they start just, I mean, they're cussing up one side and down the other. You ref, you suck. You know, they're doing all this, and they're cussing, that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, that's just typical people who don't know God and, or people who don't have any other vocabulary. So, and so it's no big deal until they started saying GD. And when they started damning my God, I lost my mind. And the poor little dude, he knew he was with Pastor Adam. He was like, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. And so there was a, little, there was, there was a really big, really, really, really big white boy <clears throat> cornbread fed just big kid and he was the ringleader and he was gd and gd and gd and i just couldn't take it anymore i said hey you say that one more time i'm gonna knock you upside your head down on the ground you understand me that's my god you'll never damn him in front of me again do you understand me and he goes and i thought he was gonna hit me he's like yes sir you're right i shouldn't be talking like that i was like that's right thank you jesus thank you jesus oh my jesus thank you god Thank you, Jesus. I just knew for we were gonna have to get me some new front teeth. I was just waiting on it, you know. And then all them boys would have been kicking me on the ground. Come on, I lived that life back in the day. So anyway, so but what happens is when you're when you're a trusted partner, first characteristic is that you're a carrier of the calling. What was important to Jesus becomes important to you. The second thing that happens is you become a defender of the cause. And here's the third thing, and that is you become a patron of the power. Patron of the power. Paul tells this guy, you're going to be blind, and he's blind. Do you ever wonder why you don't move in power? So we've had to make excuses for that. So a generation, 2,000 years later, the reason why we don't move in power, so everyone's created all these other doctrines and theologies to so, that they don't, so we can excuse the fact that we don't move in power. Friend, can I tell you something? We were created to move in power. In fact... The word of God says it like these. Jesus said, greater works than what I did, you will do. We're supposed to move in the supernatural power. We're supposed to. And the reason why I believe we don't is because we're not in partnership. Because it's not my power, it's his power flowing through me. It's not my cause, my purpose. Because think about that. If he gave you power unchecked, what would you do? The moment you got mad, you just fry people. Think about it driving down the road like you just cut me off that's why an entire generation is so enamored with all the superheroes and the comic books because there's something inside of us that desires more than just mundane living and you were created to move in the supernatural as a follower of Jesus Christ greater works than what he did you shall do the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you the same power is supposed to be flowing through our veins but the reason why I believe we don't really move in it number one because we don't have compassion for hurting people and number two because we're not in partnership so when we try to do this in our own strength it doesn't work but when we do it in partnership like Lord you want that done I don't want to do it but you want it done so be it and then what happens we become the patron of power and supernatural things begin to happen you and I need to make the identity shift from not just, yes, we're new creatures in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. 
Yes, we're dependent heirs. Thank you, God, that you're getting that revelation and you're making that shift. But ultimately, a part of Church on the Hill, I want you to understand that you are a trusted partner. So he says, pray for that person, you pray for that person. You, re you realize that what I'm doing for an income source has nothing to do with eternal perspective other than this is the field that I've been assigned to reach people that no one else can reach, to do what God wanted done in the earth. I am his partner, I'm with him. I will help, I will help bring life to the lifeless. I will attack the, the enemy's workings. I will destroy those. I will help God seek and save that which is lost because I'm a partner, I'm in partnership with him. I'm on his team, he's on my team. We are team Jesus and we will win friend when you get that revelation when you make that shift I promise you going to work will be different for you I promise you you will not be worried about how much money you do or don't make because you will be on mission and the moment your life shifts and you get on mission with Christ and you start doing what he was doing and living how he was living everything that you thought impossible will become possible but here's the problem and that is we've got to have a little bit of a shift give me that right there here's how most of us live our lives most of us, this is our worldview. It's about us. How do I look? Whew. Man, how is this going to affect me today? Wow, we're running a little bit late. But, you know, that's just, you know, my wife's problem. And then Lance, Texas, in the middle of it. Yeah. And each and every one of us, for the most part, this is our worldview. But for you and I to be partners with Christ, what has to happen is we have to shift our worldview. And it needs to look a little bit more like this. And every day I wake up, and this is my worldview. Lord, what, is it, what do I need to do for her? What do I need to do for him? Lord, what have you given me life? How can I help destroy the work of the enemy in that person's life right there? Lord, what do you have need of right here and right now? When you make that shift, when your worldview shifts, literally, listen, when your worldview shifts from this, all about me. It's all about, in fact, you should sing the song like this. It's all about me. Jesus, it's not about you because I'm always looking at me taking selfies. It's all about myself, how I look, how I feel, what everyone thinks about me. And when you and I make the shift, when we make the identity shift and it changes from about us to about everyone else, now we're a trusted partner. And this is how you know that it's happened in your life. It's because now you start caring about others more than you care about yourself. Are you with me today? Say yes.